I wish you could have met Bill Drost. And maybe you did. On May Day 1915, Bill Drost was born at a farm on the rolling hills of New Brunswick, Canada. His life would be characterized by astounding miracles as he fulfilled God's prophetic call as a missionary in South America when he was only 10 years old. His older sisters attended a revival meeting where Maddie Crawford was preaching, and many people responded to her preaching. They repented of their sins. Bill's parents were a little bit troubled by this. His mom did not want her children to, quote, be led away with the error of the devil, end quote. I don't know any parent who wants that. Five years later, there was another spiritual stirring that came into the area. A group was holding what they called Bible meetings, and they spoke about the Holy Ghost. An older friend of Bill's named Bless joined them. Bless was a champion boxer. He was tall. He was powerful. But when he went to the altar, he was a changed man. And Bill's mother was furious to learn her son had anything to do with Bless. She warned him, never again speak to the man. But Bill just could not resist. He visited a Bible meeting himself. He rode his bicycle one night. And as he listened to the testimonies he heard, he marveled. At their stories, he marveled at the songs they sang, spontaneous worship. When he told his mother he had been to that meeting, she was stunned. And she said, if you ever go back there, it will be over my dead body. I forbid you to go, and I never want to hear you mention those holy rollers again. You know they're of the devil. They've deceived you. She was heartbroken. He was heartbroken. He knelt by his bed that night and prayed with tears. He prayed, God, show me what to do. If these people are of the devil, they should be told. Lord, whatever scripture you give me, it will help. He dropped his finger on his open Bible. It fell on a verse he had never heard before. Fell on the 47th Psalm. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Bill was stunned. He said, God, that's what these people were doing. They, they clapped their hands. As he slept... God gave him a vivid dream. He saw Jesus coming from glory in a sky ablaze with beautiful, brilliant light. He saw the faces of people he recognized, people he had seen at that Bible meeting. They were rising to meet Jesus in the air, their faces filled with great joy. And Bill cried out, Oh God, take me. He awoke, he jumped from his bed. He was on his way to discovering what God had done to make it possible for him, just as them, to experience eternal life. I'll tell you more about his story and our story right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. So glad to have you back. I hope you had a wonderful Sunday. Today's God's Word for Life episode stems from a lesson dated May 8th, 2022, and it's entitled, Dead or Alive. We're going to take a look at Romans chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. If you have your Bible... I'll be there, Romans 5, verses 17 through 19. The Apostle Paul wrote this, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For, as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. That's a powerful and even a little bit confusing passage that simply says, if death came through Adam in his sin, life came through Jesus Christ in his salvation. So let's go all the way back to Adam. And don't worry, we're not going to go Genesis to Revelation today, so you'll still be in time for your lunch break. All the way back in the beginning, God created human beings, us, as living souls. The creation accounts in the first two chapters of Genesis, they're fascinating. They focus on the creation of people from different perspectives. We find the first in Genesis 1, verses 26 through 29, which reveals God's plan for humanity, that both male and female, the only two genders God created, were created in the image of God. And this is a a quick timeout and even a commercial. There is a fabulous podcast, a sister podcast to this one, called Apostolic Life in the 21st Century in which Dr. Bernard answers tough questions and deals with tough issues. And one of them is the issue of transgenderism. What does God say? What does the Bible say about transgenderism? That was on November 8th, 2021. The link for that particular episode will be there in the show notes. And you'll be able to see God's plan for humanity from the beginning as recorded in the Word of God. And we're back. But both male and female, share equal blessings and responsibilities. That was the first account, Genesis 1, verses 26 through 29. The second account is in the very next chapter, Genesis 2, verses 7, 18, and 21 to 22. They emphasize the material and immaterial aspects of humanity, of our existence. Physically, we are made from the earth. Our material component springs from the breath of life breathed into human nostrils by the Lord God, God breathed into us, and we became living souls. These two accounts, Genesis 1 and 2, they offer no hint, though, of sinfulness. It was paradise. It was perfection. We were portrayed in hopeful, positive ways. Although we were made of the earth, which was itself created by God, humans are more intimately related to our Creator than any other created thing. God personally breathed into us. The result is the image of God, supremely blessed, supremely capable. But to be made in God's image includes the fact people possess the power of choice. Certainly God has the freedom to choose, and he passed that along to us. And since this is so, God warned Adam to avoid the one thing that would destroy him. Genesis 2, verses 16 through 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Bon appetit, Adam, belly up to the buffet, every tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of it, for in the day you do, you will surely die. Adam and Eve had the freedom to choose, and they exercised that freedom to disregard God's plan. And both of them suffered the consequence, and we continually suffer the consequence. That consequence was death, sin, separation from God. Neither one of them experienced physical death at that time. Some believe God mercifully changed his mind. After all, Adam lived 930 years. That's a lot of candles to put on one cake. But we do know for sure, although Adam did not die that day, 
he did begin to die in his relationship with God. He had a close, intimate relationship with God, and it was compromised. It was severed because of sin. Death certainly came spiritually. Do you agree with the idea that the power of choice is the greatest power we possess? Why or why not? Biblical references to death are always a kind of separation. The death of a human is not that we cease to exist. We will exist forever because we are eternal. God created us a living soul. When we die, our material, our immaterial components are separated. Our body from our soul. James illustrated this point very well when he wrote, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Also, James 2, verse 26. Adam did not become a living soul until God breathed life into him, which means the human body is lifeless without the spirit. When they sinned in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve experienced spiritual death separated from fellowship with God and from the paradise God created for them. They were expelled from Eden. Paul wrote of this idea in a variety of places. He wrote this in Romans 5, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. By the one man's offense, many died. By the one man's offense, death reigned through the one. Sin reigned in death. That's found all through Romans chapter 5. It seemed to be Paul's song there in that chapter. However, we read in Ephesians 2, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead in sins, but thanks be to God, he has quickened us. The death that these texts refer, it's not physical death. It is separation from fellowship with God. It is spiritual death. So if death refers to separation, what do you think it means to be dead to sin? We were dead because of sin. What does it mean to be dead to sin? Now let's take a look at the Garden of Eden. If you've got your Google map, go ahead and Google Garden of Eden and pinch and zoom, and you'll see trees aplenty. If you are going to try to Google the Garden of Eden, please don't on the map because you're not going to find it. The flood changed the topography of the entire earth. So yeah, not going to happen. The Garden of Eden contained so many trees, but only two of them had special significance. The tree of life was there to provide an opportunity for Adam and Eve to live forever. They could have chosen to eat from the tree of life. Then there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That gave them an opportunity to choose. They could choose sin or, ding, 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 they could choose life. Instead, for whatever reason, they chose sin. God loved them enough to give them a choice to walk away from him if they wanted to. Love is meaningful only when it is a choice. But after their sin, they knew the consequence. God spelled it out so very clearly. After their sin, Adam and Eve were exiled from the Garden of Eden to prevent them from eating from the tree of life and living forever in a sinful, fallen, corrupt state. The tree of life was not there to impart eternal life, which would be salvation. It was there to preserve Adam and Eve from physical death. You wouldn't die. It would not do for them to continue inhabiting the garden in a state of rebellion against God. From the earliest days of human history, relationship with God was made possible by faith, not, not by eating from a tree. Here's a question. If God did not want Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, why did he place it in the garden? Why plant that tree there? 
A lot of people have that question. There have been a lot of answers. Let me just tell you the very simple, probably oversimplified answer is God wanted us to choose. Without the tree, there is no choice. And truly, without choice, there really can be no love. We see a connection between sin and death in Romans 6. For Paul wrote, the wages of sin is death. Again, not a reference to physical death. Everybody will die. The death we see in Romans 6, verse 23, is a separation from fellowship with God. It's what Adam and Eve experienced. Their separation from God was a spiritual dying. In Romans 5, verses 12 to 21, Paul explained in a very carefully worded argument the negative universal impact of Adam's sin. He wrote in verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Oh, when I get to heaven, I want to thump Adam on the nose. His sin affects us. The consequence of sin on humanity was universal death, spiritual separation from God. Again, not a reference to physical death, but separation from fellowship with God. Adam was apparently created as a mortal being. Only by eating of the tree of life could he have lived forever in his physical body. Scripturally, death is not extinction, it's separation. But all of us have sinned. Beginning in Romans chapter 1, Paul showed that all people, whether we have received general revelation, we can look and see nature and the seas and the trees and the mountains, and we can see there is a creator or special revelation. We have read the word of God. We have experienced the power of God. All of us, no matter what we've seen, no matter what we've heard or read, all of us have fallen short of living up to the revelation we've received. All of us are sinners. All of us need a savior. As he began to conclude his message about universal sinfulness, Paul wrote, Romans 3, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned, past tense, and fall short, present tense, of the glory of God. Not only has every person sinned in the past, we all continually fall short of God's glorious glory, which is why the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us from sin as we walk with him, as we walk in faith in the light of Jesus Christ. So since sin is universal, thank God so is the opportunity for salvation. All of us need a Savior, and all of us have the opportunity to choose to walk with God, to have a relationship with God. All of us have the opportunity to have our sin covered, remitted, paid for, the penalty taken care of through the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul, of course, he taught this in the book of Romans, but he taught this all throughout his letters. In his letter to the Galatians, he made the very same point. But the scripture has concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. It would be wonderful if everybody would be saved, but everybody, much like Adam and Eve, has a choice. Even before Jesus' birth, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and informed Joseph that the name he would give to Mary's son would be Jesus. And here's why. For he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew 1, verse 21. Literally, the name Jesus means Yahweh Savior. He is our Savior. He shall save. Abundant testimony abounds in the New Testament that Jesus is the Savior of all who come to faith in him. We see this in 
If you're taking notes, just jot these down. Luke 2, John 4, Acts 5, Acts 13, Ephesians 5, 2 Timothy 1, Titus 1, Titus 2, Titus 3. He he really liked that in Titus. Philemon 3, 2 Peter 1, 2 Peter 2, 2 Peter 3, and 1 John 4. All of those contain references to the fact Jesus will save all who come to him in faith. Now, we read about this first man, Adam, and last Adam. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45 reads, So it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. We know the first Adam was, that's right, class, Adam. The last Adam was Jesus Christ. The first Adam, he was a mortal man. The last Adam was God in flesh with the ability to quicken us and give us life. A key phrase in verse 45 is the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Jesus, like Adam, was a living soul, but he was so much more than that. He was a quickening spirit, a life-giving spirit. Adam was given life. Jesus was giving and is giving life. There are some similarities we see between Adam and Jesus. What similarities do you see? And what differences do you see between the first Adam and the last Adam? What differences do you see between wages and gifts in Romans 6? The wages of sin is death. Congratulations, you worked all your life sinning. Here's your paycheck, eternal separation from God. That's the language. Wages, but the gift, the gift of God. We didn't earn it. He graciously gave it, is salvation. We don't earn gifts, we earn wages. And so if you sin all your life, the very best you get is eternal separation from God. But if you come to Jesus Christ in faith, he gives you, you don't earn, he gives you eternal life. It's amazing. The gospel is miraculous, wonderful. Some people would even say too good to be true. And I would say knowing Jesus It's too good not to be true. According to Paul, this gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And so to receive the benefit of this glorious good news, we must respond to him in faith. And faith always produces obedience. Obedience is not a work. We don't earn our salvation. We can't pile up enough good deeds, help enough precious seniors cross the street, rake enough lawns, serve at enough soup kitchens. We can't sleep enough nights in homeless shelters to help the staff. We can't do enough good deeds. Thank God for good deeds. Good deeds are evidence that we have faith and we are doing what God wants us to do, but that won't save us. Obedience is not work. It's a response of our faith. It's evidence that we have faith. To those who asked on the day of Pentecost, what shall we do? Peter did not just answer. If you believe Jesus died and was buried and rose from the grave, congratulations, you're saved. He said, repent. If you believe Jesus died for your sins, repent of your sins and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That was the promise for them. That is the promise for us. Our faith 
produces obedience to the word of God. And we wrap this up. Let's finish the story of Bill Drost after his dream of the people he had seen in the Bible meeting rising to meet Jesus in the air. Bill Drost ran downstairs to tell his mother, Mom, I want to talk to you. Do you believe Jesus Christ is coming in the clouds of heaven? And she said, Oh, my dear son, the coming of the Lord is only when death comes and takes us. That's his coming. He told his mom about the dream, and Bill's mother said with tears, Oh, poor Willie, you have been deceived. This is just the devil. Try to forget about it. And she warned him never again to talk to those holy roller people. But the next Sunday, Bill just could not stay away. He rode his bicycle 17 miles to the Bible meeting. The preacher concluded his message, and Bill knew he needed to come to Jesus. He went to the altar. He prayed, Lord, Lord, if you save me, I don't care what happens. I want to be ready for your coming, and whatever you want me to do, I will do it, Lord. A lady placed her hand on Bill's head, and she prayed, Lord, help this boy to believe what you have done for him on Calvary. And at that moment, something gripped him. An inner realization of the things the woman said. His faith reached out and took those words, pulled them into his own experience. He clinged to them, savoring the reality of them, and he felt a lightning, a freedom, a liberation from the heaviness, the confusion, the conviction that had been pressing on him. And on New Year's Eve, as Bill prayed, he heard a voice saying, Go to the meeting tonight. He shared his intention with his mom. Mama, I, I really, I want to go to that Bible meeting. And, and she responded once again, over my dead body. And nevertheless, even against his own mother's wishes, Bill walked through the snow to that service. Preacher preached out of Luke 24, verse 49, where Jesus said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And the preacher asked the question, Who wants this promise of the Father? And Bill went up to the altar, and he began to pray and praise God in words he had never learned. He was speaking in tongues. It was 4 a.m. before Bill realized how much time had passed. He had been caught away in the Spirit of God. He returned home, and his mother was awake and waiting. And she asked him, Where have you been till this hour of the morning? And he began to sense the Spirit welling up within him, and he answered, Mom, I was at the meeting. And what went on there that would bring a boy of your age home at an hour like this? His mom asked, and Bill responded, Oh, Mom. It was wonderful. What was wonderful, she asked. And right there, Bill lifted his hands to heaven and he began to speak with tongues again. And his mother stood there wide-eyed, open-mouthed, staring at him, bewildered. And later she chided him and she insulted him and she rehearsed the faults of Pentecostal people. But never again, though, did she try to stand in his way even when he was baptized in the river at Newcastle Bridge. Thank God for his grace. And if you'd like a copy of more of Bill Drost's story, you can find it at Bill Drost the Pentecost, Word of Flame Press, available at PentecostalPublishing.com. Thank God for his wonderful salvation, his opportunity for us all to be saved, and all of us today have the choice, now that you have heard the gospel, all of us have the choice to respond in faith to the gospel. And let me tell you this, 
If you do nothing with the gospel, you have done something with the gospel. You have told God, I choose sin over the gospel. And one day we will give account for the choices we make, especially the choice we make concerning the gospel. I I pray today you would choose life. You would choose Jesus. Lord, today I choose you. Afresh and new, I choose you. I choose relationship with you. I choose you over sin. I choose you over pleasure. I choose you over my own pursuits and my own passions and my own ambitions. I choose you. I pray help every listener. Help every listener today to choose you. I know in this life we'll make a million choices. Help us every day to choose you. To choose life. To choose to have faith in you. To believe you. To trust you. Even with our soul. I choose you. I love you, Lord. Help every one of us to repent of our sins, to be baptized and enter into that covenant relationship, having your name called over us in baptism and filled with the Holy Spirit. Help every one of us to experience this wonderful, great, so great salvation. I pray it today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, thanks so much, God's Word for Life listeners, for tuning in. Be sure to click subscribe and share. You won't miss an episode, and none of your friends and family have to miss an episode either, so be sure to share this with others. I mentioned earlier some other resources. The God's Word for Life companion podcast has a companion podcast, a sister podcast called Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. Dr. David K. Bernard answers tough questions, deals with tough issues that have to do with the church, with Christianity, with faith, with the Bible, and so this particular episode, I referenced an episode on transgenderism. What does the Bible have to say about it? That's November 8th, 2021. The link is in the show notes. You can find it at Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. Another great resource for you and for others is PentecostalPublishing.com. That's where you can get a copy of Bill Drost, The Pentecost, and other wonderful Bibles, Bible studies, books, music, devotionals, all great resources to help you in your relationship with Jesus and to help others in their relationship with Jesus as well. So be sure to head over to both of those wonderful resources to help you and them in their walk of faith. Next week, we continue this brand new series here in the spring of 2022 called You Must Be Born Again. And the lesson episode is called The Call to Repentance. It's all about getting our hearts right with God through repentance. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.